Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Simon Jones, Managing Director of Digital Visitor, the UK's leading strategic digital marketing agency for travel, tourism and hospitality. In this episode, we discuss experience gifting, focusing on niche products and multiple strategies to secure revenue for Christmas. Just a heads up, we had a few tiny audio issues, but none of them take away from the invaluable advice that Simon has shared. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Simon, welcome to the Skip the Queue podcast. It is it's really lovely to have you on today. Hi, Kelly. Thank you very much for asking me on. You are very welcome. And as ever, we start off with our icebreaker questions. What is your karaoke song? Um, Angels, Robbie Williams. Oh, it's a classic. It is. Not when I sing it, though. <laughs> okay and what is your favorite place to visit in the UK uh Cornwall I absolutely love the sea you know I've been growing up going to the beach since I was a youngster and it's something I've always enjoyed you know I'll get in the water at whatever the weather you know how cold it is rain whatever it's just brilliant I love the waves so can't surf Um, my kids surf but I can lie on a bodyboard and and hit some big waves so from that point of view I love it Um, there's a little place in North Cornwall called Trianon Bay um, which is just around from Constantine uh, Bay which is a big surf beach and Trianon's just kind of become my spiritual home in fact I should not tell you because it's not very busy and I don't want it to get really busy. Um, but it's it's just stunningly beautiful, most beautiful sunsets that you'll ever see. And we stay like a minute's walk from the beach and you know I'm in the water at 8 30 in the morning and probably 8 30 at night and my wife will tell you that I just never get out of the sea. So so yeah I just love it. Oh that sounds like an absolutely incredible place. I don't know of it and now everyone knows of it so they'll all be flooding there. <laughs> um, the closest that we've been is Watergate Bay. And which is yeah. it's it's similar in the sunsets in Watergate Bay are 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 just out of this world. I've never braced the sea there though. I've never done I've never gone in and bodyboarded there, but I quite fancy that. Really honestly, there's nothing more exhilarating or embracing. You know, we were down this this summer and um, you know, we didn't have fantastic weather, but it doesn't matter, you know, the, the waves were absolutely out of this world and yeah, the beach was actually red flagged a few times because they were so big this year. But yeah, honestly, give it a go. You will not regret it. It is just my, my kids now are in the water for hours every day when we go down. They've just grown up with it and they just love it. My 10 year old in particular surfs like a little demon and you just look at it and go, how have you done that? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing. And would you rather question for you? Would you rather be a superhero? And if so, which? Or the world's best chef? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think everybody loves a superhero. It would be great to be able to do that. And in terms of which one, it would probably be Superman, just because to fly would be brilliant. That'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? What about the whole pants outside your trousers thing, though? I've done that many times, so it's (laughs) kind of not new. Okay, good. Glad that we've learned that about you today. Um, all right. <laughs> the, last, the last question on this section. So tell me something that's true that nobody else agrees with you on. What's your unpopular opinion for us? 
I've got two, if that's all right. It's very all right. The Alarm, which are my favourite band of all time, are probably the most underrated band of all time. Um, and second one is that I don't think it's essential to do well in education to be successful. Okay. Um, let's talk about this because I kind of agree with you. It depends on the path, right? Not everybody learns the same way at school. And I've often talked about this myself because I didn't go to university, chose to go and get a job back in the day. This was a very long time ago. It was a lot easier to get a junior designer position. And I just wanted to learn. I wanted to be hands on. I wanted to be learning as I, you know, working as I was learning. And it's never really done me any harm. You know, if I think about my career journey and what I've done and, and how I've, I've learned and now where I am. I think that was the right decision for me. Yeah, I'm very similar to you, Kelly. I I actually left school at 16. Um, I didn't get on with the school and education environment. Nothing against it, just didn't suit me. Um, And I went out into the working world straight away at 16. Um, I haven't done any professional qualifications, you know, haven't been to university. Um, It's all about, as you say, it's the right path for each individual. I think it's about your attitude. It's about what you want to do. It's about the desire to to succeed and how you get on. So if I'm looking to recruit, I think it's it's probably harder these days, in all fairness, to, to youngsters. But from my point of view, education and what people have done is not the first thing I look at it's it's you read into a job application the experience they've got or even a covering letter sometimes it's more important you know have they done that absolutely to what you're looking for is there enough passion and inspiration in what they're looking for so yeah from my point of view you know obviously education is important I'm not saying that but I just think it is down to each person's path they need to do what they're comfortable with and what they're good at and if you know you look back at some point in the future and go well maybe I should have done something different it's not the end of the world you can find your your right way you just need to work hard at it I, I love this uh, and now I, and I think I, I completely agree with your unpopular opinion whether it's unpopular or not is to is to be seen <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to um if you're listening and you're following us on social media I'd actually really love to know how you feel about that and what your career journeys have been like from 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 education path as well so um pop us a little tweet over um i'd really love to hear about that that leads us really nicely on to the things that i'd like to talk about today simon so simon and i um we met recently because we both spoke at the visitor attractions conference and we were both in the your website is your brand segment and I think one of the joint messages that we've both pushed out this year is that your website has never been more important as, as it is right at this moment in time. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but I'd really like to understand how your career path has developed from school and to where you are now. So if you can give us a bit of a potted history, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So I left when I left school, um, based in Bristol, and I'm from Bristol, and financial services was huge in Bristol so I basically ended up working in financial service sector for quite a few years working for Sun Life as it was and and AXA but you know nothing against it it's it gave me great grounding made some great friendships there people are still in touch with now but it didn't really inspire and wasn't anything that really thrilled me so I wanted to move into sort of a sales line of work but the last thing I wanted to do was financial sales because back in those days it didn't have a particularly good reputation and it's not that most of interesting so I ended up selling housewares products of all things Um, I worked for a company called Brabantia who are known for their pedal bins bread bins you know ironing tables etc I worked for them for a couple of years and 
it was great. Absolutely brilliant products, brilliant time. Got to learn an awful lot, spent a lot of time on the road. And then I was fortunate enough randomly to end up finding a job for Merlin Entertainment or Varden Attractions, as they were back in those days. I went through an interview process with them and was very lucky enough to become sort of working on the trade side. So for the first few years of my working world in or working life in visitor attractions, I worked in trade marketing um, for Merlin Entertainment um, across the Sea Life Dungeons brands and just fell in love with the sector. Absolutely, you know, Merlin was a brilliant education for me. Hadn't didn't really know anything about visitor attractions or, or tourism at that stage, other than the fact that I love going on holiday. You know, I just fell in love with the way attractions are and how you know how they operate and how much you're just dealing with people's fun time, leisure time. It's really about giving people great experiences. So I was with Merlin Entertainments for probably about six, seven years, I think it was, um, based down in, in the head office in Paul. And then I moved into museums or science centres. So I went to work for a science centre called at Bristol in the day, which is now We The Curious. And I went there as originally from marketing side and ended up uh, working right across some sort of commercial areas for that and again it was just brilliant back in Bristol my hometown um, really really great products great team had fun there and dealt with the, they had three sites there was the science center side which you know getting hands-on experiences and getting kids involved with science was brilliant uh, we had it's that stage a, a night nature attraction as well um, and then an IMAX cinema and IMAX films are the only way to watch films large format film is just brilliant really immersive and then you know that sort of moved on from there always had fancied having a go at something myself never quite had the nerve to do it if you like and then I I met my now business partner Anthony Rawlins um, through mutual contacts and uh, he already started a company digital properties back in those days which was all about video marketing and he was the person that sort of realized that there was a good opportunity for video marketing in tourism and sort of approached me we started to work together um, and I took the opportunity at that stage to go, do you know what, this is the right time for me to sort of break off and, and try doing our own thing. And so we set Digital Visitor up and we only work in tourism. You know, we, we've, you know, we have dabbled with a few things across, across time, as I think you do. But from my point of view, why would you move outside of this sector? You know, I, I'm passionate about it. I absolutely love tourism, visitor attractions and the whole side of it. So since we've been going, we've worked exclusively within the sector. I love that. And now Digital Visitor is the UK's leading strategic digital market agency for travel, tourism and hospitality. So you've done all right. <laughs> That's all right. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, I think I think when you're passionate about something, it becomes a lot easier, doesn't it? And, you know, as I say, we're still dealing with people's leisure time. We're, we're able to work with a lot of great partners that deliver fantastic experiences. And it's our job to make sure we get those people to them to have those experiences. So, yeah, it's always really well. Fabulous. And now, look, uh, you know, it's been a tricky year, it's been, <laughs> to say the least. But I don't want to, I kind of don't want to look back on this episode because I think, you know, we've talked quite a lot about how people have come through the pandemic and, and, and how people have been kind of supporting their, their clients through that. But what I really want to focus on today is what comes next, because we are now starting that run up to Christmas. And as we said earlier, your website has never been more important as it is now. And that's not just in terms of pre-booking, but that's in terms of retail and in terms of gifting as well. So what I'd like to, to share with our listeners today are things that they can take away and implement 
So should we, talk, should we start with digital marketing strategies for Christmas and what does that look like? And what can, what can attractions be focusing on right now that is going to push them through to Christmas and really make the most of, of what, they can, what they can achieve? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it was interesting of this period is that, you know, the shift towards digital has just absolutely built momentum. You know, it was it was obviously happening over the last few years. And when I started in marketing, obviously digital didn't even exist. So, you know, to sort of now go to a stage where for me it becomes absolutely the most important thing that you do is quite bizarre to see the shift that's happened over the last few months. It's probably moved on what would have been five, six years, you know, from that point of view. And what digital does is it gives you that complete immediacy to be able to look at things what's working, what's not working, change your tactics straight away. You know, it's completely agile and it's totally transparent. So you can really see what's working for you, um, what isn't working for you, things that aren't working for you, you turn off. You don't need to wait for three months whilst the poster has to run its course in you know, a place that you, you can actually change it straight away and you know, really, really focus on, on those bits that, that will drive those revenue for you. And it, it, in terms of... You know, we still don't know what the next few months are going to bring. We don't know if we're going to be open. We absolutely have no idea at the moment what's going to happen. But what we do know is Christmas isn't going away. It may be a different style of Christmas, but people will want to, to give gifts. They will want to, you know, treat people to, you know, to nice things that they can do. And I think the whole concept of experience gifting is just, you know, absolutely an opportunity that visitor attractions should not miss out on. The experience gifting market has grown over the last few years, you know, hugely anyway. And I just think this is going to really intensify that. You know, if people can't see you or they're not allowed to travel to have big families together or together at Christmas, sending the best possible thing you can do is an experience when people can go back out. And obviously, from an attractions point of view, that's brilliant because you get the revenue now. You know, it is a really tough, difficult time. So if you can get your revenue in at this stage, and then the, the actual visit can happen at any point over the next 12 months or whenever it is. But really focusing in on driving that revenue from those ticket experiences is, is just a huge opportunity that people can't miss out on. And that is something that, Kai, that, that was continuously talked about at the VAC um, when we both spoke at it, is that drive for memberships and selling the experience of something that you, you can't go to it now, but you can go to it in the future. And I think it was something like 23 to 25% increase in sales in memberships when actually attractions were locked down. So there was a huge spike yeah. in, you know, there's, there's, there is a huge need for people and a want and a desire for people to come back. So it's definitely something to focus on now. I mean, what, what about kind of looking at, securing the revenue so we we've got reduced capacity at the moment in terms of yeah. visitor numbers how does experience gifting help that so from a point of view from the experience gifting i mean there's and actually you mentioned one thing there Katie, which is, is also very important from is memberships you know if you're someone's buying a gift you know for someone you know the whole point of saying here's a bit of clothes or some clothes or something that you don't like compared with giving a gift that is you know, going down a zip line at 100 miles an hour or, you know, visiting, you know, some of the best experiences or, or attractions that you can go through. There's just no comparison in that you're giving people real experiences and potentially memories for life. So from that point of view, that's brilliant. And from the attraction side, I mean, obviously, there's going to be a big push in the build up to Christmas for people looking to buy, looking to secure these presents. And the revenue goes into the attractions at that time. So if you're going to be closed, you know, for the next few months, 
there's a great opportunity to drive a load of cash into your business. Now, some people may not, you know, you may account for that once the visit actually happened, but whatever happens is you're building up a cash reserve there, which can help to some degree. When obviously then people do come and visit at a later point, you'll get secondary spend from them. There'll be other opportunities to get even further revenue from those people. You know, the whole, the shops, you know, we, we know people are buying more in, in visitor attraction shops when they go through, obviously from a catering point of view as well. And even better, rather than selling just a one-off ticket, if you've sold them a membership, you know, as a gift as someone's giving a membership, you're going to get that visit time and time again. And over the next few months, you're going into, you know, probably six months through next year, I think local visits are going to be hugely important people aren't going to be looking to travel as far they don't know what the long-term plans you know if we're going to go into a lockdown again so keeping local and experiencing things on their doorstep is going to become an even bigger part of what they want to do finally just on that once you've got their details you know if someone's bought from you there is always the opportunity to constantly contact them you know go back to those people and you know potentially upsell get more commitment from them you've got a direct line and okay even if someone's buying a gift for someone else you never know you might encourage them to want to do it as well or even just adding value to the package that they've already bought there's no reason to sort of say a few weeks later they might want to add something else to that if you can get them so it opens up a whole new load and that's just on the ticket sides but it really does open up a whole load of opportunities to drive that revenue it's interesting what you said about um i mean i've always very much myself been someone that will buy people gifts that that, that have a longevity to them and, and a membership or something like that or an experience feels feels right you know it, it feels more exciting than just I don't know something that's going to get used and then you, you throw it away um I'm thinking about what I'm you know my parents don't listen to this podcast but I'm, I'm going to get them a national trust membership this year because they live about 45 minutes away from where we are They've stayed very, very local to their to their area. They live in a, a market town in Essex. They haven't really been outside of that of that town that much. They've come to visit us a couple of times when they were able to. But I think, you know, that gift will give them that it will expand their area slightly and they can still go to places that are outside that they they feel more comfortable with. So um hopefully they'll Hopefully they'll appreciate that I've thought this through for them this year. <laughs> It'll be just your luck, but this will be the one time they do listen to the podcast. As well, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I did not change it. But... Oh God, I hope not. Um, but I, I mean, what you talked about locality is really interesting as well, isn't it? Is that local audiences are even more important than ever now? Yeah, I mean, certainly people haven't wanted to travel very far. So if they've been going out and doing things, they've been staying in their local market. And there's a lot of uh, evidence to show that people are going back to sites and places that they know, if, you know, in terms of they've got the confidence, they know the site, they know how they're going to get there. They know what's going to happen when they're on, on site itself. And it just gives them that confidence to take that step if, if it's something they've been unsure of previously. Um, that's definitely not going to change over the, the short term. I know from my point of view, I've explored more in the local area in Bristol over the last few months than I just, I've just discovered places I didn't even know existed. And when you're about 500 years old, like I am, you just don't think you're going to come across new things. So the opportunity to get people, you know, doing more locally and supporting their local attractions and their local businesses, you know, it's, it's just, you know, hugely important. And I think people are willing to spend money locally, money locally now, sorry, when previously they would have gone further afield, you know, to actually have those experiences. They just wouldn't have thought about going locally, whereas now they will. You know, it does translate very much into, if you're thinking about 
Christmas. You know, we, we talk about experience gifting as being, you know, obviously a key opportunity for, for that, giving the, the experiences there. But, you know, many attractions have got fantastic products and fantastic shops. So it's not only that, but they very much need to be thinking about themselves as, you know, a retail business in the build up to it. You know, what have they got? What products do they have that will sell? Now, I'm not saying compete against an Amazon or the big boys. So you need to think really closely about what branded products there, you know, what, what the added value that you get from your brand. You know, what can people see? What will they value to it? Niche things that they do. You know, I say I was worked for We The Curious before. You see places like obviously the Science Museum and stuff like that. They have amazing science experiments and things that you can buy. So how about, you know, just focusing in on those really niche areas that you can then give people great fun to have at home, which is, is extending your brand and obviously securing the sale from your point of view as well. And from that science experience, as just as an example, what about if it was almost, you know, an annual membership where you could say, right, well, you get a different experiment a month or something along those lines. So just very much thinking about, all right, we've got great products. How do you sell them? You know, and it's about competing in that marketplace as well, but with the right things, not trying to compete where you're going to be massively undercut or you're not going to be able to compete with a marketing spend. I love that. And it, and it makes it really personalised to that attraction as well, doesn't it? We had a, we had a really good chat with um, Paul Griffiths um, a couple of weeks ago from Paints Hill Park. And he talked about how when during lockdown, they actually went out and they sold the wine and the gin that is produced from the vineyards that are yeah. at the park. And I was like, that, you know, that's fantastic. So that really makes it makes that gift very personal to that to that venue. Um, and it's something that nobody else can sell as well. So, yeah, I think that's so that's so important to to to, to concentrate on. What about you know, how do we get people to the attractions? If attractions need to focus on not just ticket sales from a digital perspective, but also retail and gifting, how do you get them there? What, what channels do you use? Well, I mean, from the point of view of conversion, obviously this goes back to the, the session, Kelly, that, you know, the website's the most important thing in terms of driving that conversion there. Making sure you've got really simple, easy conversion process going through to once you get people to the site um, is, is absolutely imperative from there. But in terms of driving people in, we almost look at it into three separate areas. There's what we call converting intent. So converting intent is really encouraging those people who are already looking for something. So they might be looking for you from a brand name, or they might be looking for something to do around what you do, or they might be looking for something to do in a location but they are actively searching for something to do. And there's two ways of get, reaching those people. One is obviously from an SEO point of view, making sure that you're doing really well from that organic searching, the right phrases, the right areas, making sure you're ranking really well for those. And then there's the paid search. You know, really focusing on driving through those conversions. And you know, it is definitely worth you know, paid search going through to the site and making sure that you are putting money into those areas because it definitely does show a return. So from that point of view, there's, there's converting that. And also for those attractions that are charitable attractions, so like many of the, the, the people that we deal with, I'm sure most people are looking at this, but there's the Google Ads grant. And Google Ads grant, you know, gives you a good amount, you know, $10,000 a month in terms of supporting uh, your marketing activity online. And it gives you a really good opportunity to use that spend that Google, you know, that Google has provided to drive that traffic through to your website. So, you know, that it gives you another great opportunity from there. In terms of inspiration, you know, digital is great to be able to use great content, you know, great video, great visuals. Social media obviously provides 
huge amount of opportunity in terms of putting the right message in front of the right audience. You know, we can target by so many different things these days that you can really, really show um, that you're getting the right people to, to see the content and then to click through and get back to your site. The cost per clicks from social are a lot lower. You know, we find some really good value from, from driving people through. But it's not always been, previously I would say, not always been the, the best of converting channels. Uh, that's changed. People are very used to clicking through and buying you know, from those social routes now. And all of that feeds into then the retargeting. You know, obviously, Kelly, you, you guys do great websites. It's about making sure that you've got, when you've got them to the site, you've got the right tracking in place then so that if they don't buy that time, you can continue that message to them. You know they're interested. They've been through to the site. Get your retargeting correct. And then you can drive them back in you know, in terms of, of driving those sales. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the plug on the websites as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I, I think what I really like about when you and Anthony speak, and I've, I've, I've seen both of you speak now a number of times, is that you look at things from a very kind of holistic approach. So it's actually, it's not always just one channel that you're talking about or, or digital, actually. What about other channels that we can consider? So, you know, what about things like audio and TV, for example? You know, is that a bit of a far cry for, for, for attractions right now or is that something they should be or could be focusing on? I think it's, it's a really important part of it. You know, you think back to um, traditional TV advertising, I would have said probably was way out, outside of most people's capabilities um, or budgets, sorry, not capabilities. But, you know, when you had just a few channels to choose from, the amount of money that you needed to invest in it from the point of view of a return. But again, digital in these areas really does help. You know, if you look at something like a Sky Asmart, you know, for example, basically it gives you the option of the TV advertising, but overlay that with the absolute brilliant targeting you get through social, you know, and it really does give the opportunity to hit the right people. Eight houses watching the same program in a street can all be delivered a different ad based on their traits, their, you know, what they watch, what their habits are. So you can really make sure, again, you're getting the right message in front of the right people. Audio, I mean, I spend all my life on, you know, listening to podcasts now. I walk in and out of work every day. It's a great way to sort of relax um, after a day's work. And you can put specific adverts or you can put specific content on front of, you know, obviously, the right podcast. So, you know, again, if somebody's listening to a podcast about football or about you know, wartime history, whatever, if you then get a message to them that you're getting a really niche audiences, audience sorry, who you can pretty much guarantee are going to be interested in, in what you have to offer. Yeah, I think it's going to be really hard for a lot of out of home over the, you know, the coming few months. I mean, you're seeing the pictures of what's going on in London. There's you know, not a lot of people in central London at the moment, yet that from tube advertising, TFL, that used to be a really, really important part of the way attractions would think of communicating with audiences that were in those area, you know, but it does now need to be shifted and go, the audience isn't there. So you need to go where the audience is. Um, you know, outside of just that, you've got things like influencers, you know, the whole idea of, of bloggers and influencers and uh, you know, people these days that have a, a big say in what people do. That's massive. And make sure that people you're embracing that. Look at who are your local influencers are. What are the influences in the space that you're looking at? Engage with them. Yeah, okay, some of them might need to be paid to do it. But if they have the right audience, they have an engaged audience, and actually in terms of engagement side, what they call the sort of the, the smaller influencers who have, have much better 
audience in terms of getting reactions and engagement from. So it really does work well from that point of view. Um, and another one I'm always keen on is partnerships. You know, I spent a big part of my career sort of talking to people that partnerships are, are a great way to work. And it doesn't have to be in your sector. For example, you mentioned natural trust there. You might go for someone like a Berghaus or something like that, where they've got very, very similar audience demographics and their interests you know, are the same, the, the same opportunity. So if you can forge a partnership and you can work together to benefit both audiences, then that's great because it's just extending up a whole new set of people that you can talk to. On the topic of partnerships, actually, I was thinking about this um, in terms of Christmas. A, a lot of the attractions that we're speaking to are doing different Christmas events and than they would than would usually have been planned um, just because of social distancing, logistics, you know, demand, you know, capacity, etc. How about, you know, would you would you ever recommend attractions kind of partnering up with another local attraction to do, you know, you buy it, buy a ticket for this one, you get a ticket for this one as well, or doing a joint package, something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's something, I, again, I've actually always thought it's a really good idea. And I, when I was based in Bristol, um, working it in science into there we would partner with all the other attractions there and, and do joint ticketing and joint sales where you could or sometimes joint ticketing can be difficult depending on the ticketing systems and what's allowed but certainly cross promotion you know you're not for something like that you're not really competing you know for people are going to do many things over the course of a year particularly if they're concentrating on staying local so the more that you can look to work together and the more that you can benefit each other particularly in these difficult times is you know, absolutely something I would work, you know, work towards. And the other thing from a partnerships point of view, maybe not so much with the attractions, but if you can, you know, we've done some great data capture campaigns with um, when we've been using, say, a, a major retail brand that has a huge audience. And if we can engage with that audience, get them back in to run a, you know, a, camp, a competition with a visitor attraction, then you can capture that data. And as long as, as long as it's GDPR compliant, you can then have an ongoing communication with those people for, for, you know, for however you, you, know, you want to then. Um, and that can be a really, really effective way of building that proper communication channel with people. So, yeah, that's a really great idea, especially in the run up now to Christmas. What um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. I've got a couple more questions for you, but what would you, if you could sum up, the top three things that attractions should be focusing on right now while we're in that run up to Christmas. What, what, what are those top three things, Simon? So definitely from a point of view of, I, I get the basics, right? You know, what, what, what things can you sell? So you have you got a voucher to start with, make sure you've got that and then do the simple steps to get people into buying that voucher so make sure you've got your paid search and your organic search strong. Get people into the site. Use social media to, to inspire people to get to the site and then get your retargeting right so that you can convert that audience. Um, that's probably four, actually. But, um, <laughs> there are many others that you could go through. But I think, look, you know, start with that. And, and if attractions are you know, further down the line, then there's a lot more they can think about digital you know the, the audio tv um what other products that they can sell so i think it's very much thinking about their own situation how far down the road are they i mean I'm, and even you know what events have they got coming up sorry i'm just going off on a bit of a tangent here but now i remember there was uh, again it back i think it was um i think sue, sue Riggs from uh, rhs was talking about the 
the shows that they'd run through the summer that obviously yeah. are normally incredibly important for them. And they were doing the online versions of those and people were you know, paying to see and enter the shows from that point of view. There are so many attractions that do fantastic events over this time, you know, light shows, you know, long lead down by us do great ones. I know Edinburgh Zoo do fantastic. There's so many there. So it's a case of, all right, if we're not going to be able to get the volume through, how else can I monetize this? What else can I do to give people that little bit of value that's in, kind of going to encourage them to come along, you know, and actually, or well, it's not to come along, but to, to participate on this online. You're not going to stop the audience that wants to come locally because we can reduce capacity. We're still going to be able to get those people through. But actually, how can you just get little bits of revenue from other people to help the, the, you know, the pot of money build up over this difficult time? Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, super advice, as always, Simon. Um, we're going to put all of Simon's details in the show notes, but where's the best place that, that um, our listeners can find you, Simon, if they want to book a call with you to discuss any of these things? Okay, well, I think probably the, the best things would go to our website, uh, which is um, www.digitalvisitor.com. And my details are on there and they can come through too from that point of view. But thank you. Fab. We will put all of that in the show notes. Um, we always like to end the podcast by asking our guests about a book. So we'd like to know what book that you'd recommend that's maybe helped shape your career or just a book that you really love that you'd recommend that our listeners could could pick up and read. Kelly, sorry, I'm going to have two because I know. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Budget out the window again. I know, I know. Okay, from a personal point of view, um, I love John Steinbeck. I love the books that, you know, things like, I'll give one just so you don't have to do too many, but um, I think Cannery Row is absolutely brilliant. I love the area that's, you know, the whole sort of area around California and you know, I've been traveling around that there and it so so atmospheric they give a really good insight to what the area was like in the times um and you know he obviously did of mice and men as well which i'll go with canary road don't worry not both um so steinbeck's great and i think any of the books for, by john steinbeck are really engaging from a from a business point of view it's, it's interesting I've, over the last few years i've got more into reading business books particularly using audible you know walking in and out of work and i think one of the hardest things i've always had in business is dealing with difficult problems so if you've got, particularly from a, you know, a staff point of view, if you've got a difficult situation, it's very hard to deal with that. It can be very easy to bury your head in the sand and just let things go. But it always, the majority of the time, that always gets worse. So a little while back, um, there was a book by Kim Scott who, called Radical Candor. And I found that really helpful in terms of how to approach that and actually what the benefits of it were and just the structures and the ways that you can do, you know, proper constructive conversations and feedback with people to actually help everybody in that so yeah radical candor was something that um opened my eyes into a slightly different way of doing things so i think that that's what i'd recommend that is a great book choice i have read that book sitting on my bookshelf upstairs (laughs) and it is yeah it is really great actually she's uh, yeah yeah as ever if you would like to win a copy of this book then head over to our twitter account which is skip underscore the underscore q And if you retweet this episode announcement with the comment, I want Simon's book, then you could be in with a chance of winning it. Well, it's been an absolute delight to have you on the podcast today, Simon. Um, Thank you for coming on and sharing all of your insight. Um, As we said, all of Simon's details are going to be in the show notes. And so I would highly recommend if you are not fixed for Christmas already, book a call. And I'm sure that Digital Visitor can help you out. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Kelly. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast. <laughs>